Let's stand together now as the Lord calls us to worship from Psalm 96. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless His name. Proclaim the good news of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations, His wonders among all peoples. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. Amen. to you today as we praise and lift up your name. Lord, we pray that you would be with us, that you would send your spirit upon us, that as we sing praises to you, as we open our Bibles, as we confess our faith and hear your word, we pray, Lord, that you would cause us to see your beauty, to praise the name of Jesus, your son. And Lord, we pray that you would be with us mightily, that we would hear and believe the gospel and understand it. And take it into our hearts, believing into the Lord Jesus Christ, as your word calls us to. And Lord, we join our hearts together now, praying as you taught your disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. This morning for our confession of faith, we're going to be reciting together the Apostles' Creed. It's on page 845 in your hymnal. And I'm going to begin by asking you, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Hear these words of assurance from the book of Psalms, chapter 130. Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in His word do I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with Him is abundant redemption, and He shall redeem Israel from all His iniquities. 
Amen. Let's continue to worship singing hymn number 94, How Firm a Foundation.
things you do on the outside? I told you it's a little bit of a trick question. And maybe some of you remember this. It's a quote from the movie Batman. There's a discussion between two of the characters. And the character Batman, you don't know it in the movie yet, but the guy who's playing Batman is living a a really frivolous life. It looks like he wastes his money. He just goes from one party to the next and isn't really concerned with anything that's going on in, in life. And the other main character confronts him. And how can you live this way when all of these people around us are struggling the way that they are and people are dying every day? And she says to him, you remember this quote from Rachel? She says... You might be that little boy that I remember when we grew up, when we played together and we had fun and you were fierce and you were wonderful. But it's not who you are deep down inside. It's what you do that defines you. The things that you do, how you stand up for people, the way that you care for other people. The reason I told you it's a little bit of a trick question is because both of those things are important. What you believe and your character and who you are inside, how you care for other people around you, the way that you stand up for them, the way that you stand on your principles, those are very important. But also, the things that you do are important. How you do those things. Not just that you believe them, but how you live them out. How you treat one another. How you love your brothers and sisters. How you honor and obey your parents. And how you attend worship. Even how you do that is important. So I'm going to pray for you this morning that the Lord Jesus would make both of those really clear to you. Okay? Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank You for Your blood that You spilled on the cross that we might be Your children. And Lord, I thank You for these covenant children that You have given to us. And I pray that You would protect their minds and their hearts. That they would believe in their soul that You are the Son of God. And that they would also believe in their soul that the way they live is significant and important to You. I pray, Lord, that you wouldn't allow these two things to be in conflict for them. And I pray that in moments where they might be confused or have a sense of weakness, that you, by your Spirit in them, would give them strength and boldness to do what is right, even if no one else around them is doing it. And Lord, we ask all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. This morning for our responsive reading, please turn in your hymnal to page 809. On page 809, we're going to be uh, reading Psalm 69, verses 1 through 18. I'll begin with the light portion. Please respond out loud together with the bold. Save me, O God. For the waters have come up to my neck. I have come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. My eyes fail looking for my God. Many are my enemies without cause, those who seek to destroy me. You know my folly, O God. My guilt is not hidden from you. May those who seek you not be put to shame because of me, O God of Israel. I am a stranger to my brothers, an alien to my own mother's sons. When I weep and fast, I must endure scorn. When I put on sackcloth, people make sport of me. But I pray to you, O Lord. In the time of your favor. Rescue me from the mire. Do not let me sink. Do not let the flood waters engulf me or the depths swallow me. 
or the pit close its mouth over me. Do not hide your face from your servant. Answer me quickly, for I am in trouble. Let's stand together and turn in our hymnals to page number 682 as we continue to worship singing, In Thee, O Lord, I Put My Trust. to you now as your people joining our hearts together in prayer. As we come before your throne of grace, Lord, we confess that we come not because we are fit on our own, that anything in us would compel you to listen to us or to hear us, but because of the Lord Jesus Christ and his perfect sacrifice and sinless life, may we pray to you now and be in your presence as your people. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for your great work of mercy and salvation, that you have brought the Lord Jesus to this world in your time that we might be saved from our sins. And Lord, we look to that great and awesome day when you will come and take us home and we will be with you forever. Lord, I pray on behalf of your people, Lord, that you would be with us by your Spirit. I pray that you would be with those who are struggling emotionally, and mentally because of the temptations and trials of this life. Those who are struggling financially and are not seeing an easy way for the ends to meet together. Lord, I pray that you would be to them the God who supplies all of their needs. And Lord, we look to you in faith as you meet not only those needs, but also our spiritual needs. Our need to know you in our day-to-day life, to read and understand your word of truth, that you would reveal it to us by your Spirit. Lord, I pray that you would bless your people as they spend time together in their homes, whether at their table or on the couch or sitting in the living room, opening the Bible together. I pray, Lord, that you would bless your people with your spirit and with your presence, that as they read the word, that you would commune with them, that you would minister the gospel to their soul, that it would be real and true to them and that they would believe it by faith. Lord, I pray for your work that you are doing throughout the world. And I pray, Lord, specifically for the missionaries that we support, those who are on our bulletin listed at the bottom of the back page, those who we put money in the offering plate to support, that these are real people with real lives, with challenges that are just like ours, and yet they have devoted their life entirely to serving you. And Lord, I pray that you would meet their needs emotionally, mentally, and spiritually, and financially, that you would be to them the God who does supply and that you would sustain them in the work that they are doing. And Lord, we do pray that the work of the gospel would be done, that the word of the gospel would go forth, and that people who do not know you 
would be taken out of the kingdom of darkness and put into the kingdom of light. And Lord, we ask all of these things in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. invite you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 7. In Matthew chapter 7, we will be reading verses 21 to 23 this morning. The sermon is entitled, Two Claims. Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 21. This is the word of the Lord. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. We are coming very close to the end of our study of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, where He describes kingdom living now here in this earth, in this fallen world that we live in. And Jesus finishes His sermon with four pairs of two different options, two ways of living. And the repetition of these four pairs is significant to show us that Jesus is saying there are only two ways to live in this world. Some might say in the passage that we read today, well, I say the correct things about Jesus. I know who He is. I could tell you things in the Bible about Him or stories I could recite to you. Other people say, I do extraordinary things in His name. Look at my life. Look at all that I've done. Look at my service for the Lord or for the church. But Jesus says, those are two at the same. The other claim is to actually truly know the Lord Jesus and to walk with Him. In Jesus' day, almost anyone was willing to listen to His teaching or to call Him a prophet or a good teacher. And today, most Americans believe they're Christians. As long as they're not atheists or Buddhists, as long as they go to church occasionally, and as long as they think well of Jesus, they call themselves Christians. But Jesus says that many people, at least in this passage, are deceived. And you might ask, well, is that possible 
to happen more than just in this particular passage? Does that happen? Is it possible that it could be taking place today? Think of Martin Luther, the great reformer. He was a priest long before he grasped the gospel truth that God forgives and justifies the wicked and not the good people. In the book of Acts, chapter 6, verse 7, it says, Then the word of God spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. So it doesn't seem that it's an isolated occurrence just in the days of Jesus, that people were deceived about belonging to the Lord Jesus, but they had an association with Him because they knew certain information or were able to do certain good acts that other people would look at and say, they must be close to Jesus. Jesus, as the Good Shepherd in this passage, warns us about those who make false claims. He warns us of a coming judgment and He gives us an essential test that we must run our own lives up against to see the result. So number one, the warning. And perhaps it's obvious as we read this text this morning that the false claims that Jesus warns us about here are made by people who say they're a Christian. These are not false claims that people outside of the church make. I know Jesus. I walk with Him. I know one day I'll go to heaven. These are people who believe that they follow Jesus. That's who He's speaking about here. And what is Jesus' warning? I believe He gives it in two ways to us. Number one, that orthodox belief is not sufficient for saving faith. Orthodox belief is not sufficient for saving faith. Notice that Jesus says that many would say to Him, Lord, Lord. And this confession seems proper. If you were to be in Jesus' presence, how would you address Him? This seems proper. It's polite. It communicates respect. It, It is orthodox because we must confess that Jesus is Lord. It's also fervent, includes the repetition of a title, Lord, Lord. It is significant. It sounds emphatic and very devoted. And it's also public. All of the criteria for an external profession are included, but it's missing a key criteria, according to Jesus. It's missing genuineness. There are two signs, according to Jesus, of genuineness in this passage. Doing the will of the Father and knowing Jesus Himself. Those are His two criteria for genuineness. Doing the will of the Father and knowing Jesus. Saying that we believe in God or that we respect Jesus is not the same as having saving faith. I want to share with you a quote from Abigail Adams, the wife of the American Revolution hero John Adams. She said, We have too many high-sounding words and too few actions that correspond with them. It is one thing to make a claim about Jesus or to say that you know something of the Bible or that you could point to stories that are true. It is entirely a different matter altogether to know Jesus Himself and to walk with Him in loving obedience. Those are different things entirely, according to Jesus. The false claim here in this first warning is to say, I know the truth, my doctrine is right, of course it's right, I go to a Presbyterian church. I know the proper words to use to address God while not knowing Him at all. That's the first. In James chapter 2, verse 19, it says that you believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. What Jesus is saying is knowing the truth about who Jesus is is only enough to qualify you to be a good demon. Not necessarily to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Secondly, the second warning that Jesus gives is that extraordinary service for God is not sufficient for saving faith. And notice what Jesus says here. He says that many will come to Him. Many. Not a few. Not a few people that just somehow missed it. They missed a certain Sunday school where the light should have turned on, but they were missing that day. They weren't in attendance. He says that they prophesied in His name. They cast out demons in His name. And they did many wonders. These people are coming to Jesus saying, look at all this that I did in your name. Extraordinary service is not sufficient for saving faith. And notice that Jesus does not deny their claims. He doesn't get into an argument about whether or not it actually happened. He says, 
You did it. They, they were, he did not deny what they did. They did it in His name. He didn't deny it and neither should we. But notice what they do. These who make this false claim about their service being sufficient, they place success before obedience. But Jesus says that the only those who do the will of the Father belong in the kingdom. They substitute gifts, even what we would call spiritual gifts, for grace. Jesus teaches us here that it's possible to exercise spiritual gifts and yet be a total stranger to God's saving grace. The astounding things that men and women can do in public is no certain indication of where they stand in private before the judgment of Jesus Christ. What really counts is how we are related to Christ Jesus Himself. This is why the Gospel has so much more to say about the power of Christ changing our character than about the power of Christ changing the course of nature. That's significant. Because many of us wish and believe and hope and pray that the Lord Jesus, by His power, would change the course of nature some way. Have you prayed for a sickness or an illness? Have you planted this year and prayed that the Lord would bring rain or that He would hold it off? Have you prayed that the Lord would step into your life and do something? And here He is saying something a little bit different. That it is the power of Christ that changes you that is significant. That is the kingdom come. That your character and your heart can change. Think of the false claim that Jesus is saying here. The false claim in Jesus' presence is, look at all I have done for God and for His church. How I've sacrificed myself for the church and all the time that I've given away from other things that I could have spent on other things. All of these, Lord, do you see them? Think of the parable of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. At the last part of that parable, and it's mainly about the younger son who demanded his inheritance immediately while his dad was still living. But think of the older brother. After the younger brother comes home and the dad kills the fatted calf and puts a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and a robe on his back and his brother who's been out in the field all day doing what he does every day, he comes back and what is this noise? And he asks a servant what's going on and he tells him, your younger brother is back and he's fuming. He is upset. How is this possible? And he's beside himself and he doesn't go in the house and finally his dad who is the one to be most honored here, demonstrates the love of God the Father by coming outside of the house, outside of the party, to his pouting older son. And he says, what are you doing? Come on in. And the older son, who maybe is more of a prodigal than the younger son, says, what is it that you are doing, Dad? Haven't you seen all these years, in the NIV, instead of saying serving, as it does in the New King James, it says slaving. Haven't you seen all the slaving that I've done for you all these years and you've never given me even a single goat to celebrate with my friends? And the dad responds, Son, you are with me always and everything that I have is yours. But this, your brother, was dead and is now alive. He was lost and now he is found. But this is part of the the heart behind the false claim that Jesus is speaking against. Are there those who would say, look at all that I've done for you, how I've sacrificed for you, Lord, how I've served in your church through years of difficulty and years of hardship, how I've given of myself even when it hurt and time that I didn't have. And Jesus is saying that's not enough to come through the gates into the kingdom. It's not enough. I won't just celebrate your service. I celebrate those who know me. The Good Shepherd. He says the good shepherd knows the sheep and the sheep know him and they fellowship together. So number one, the warning. Number two, the coming judgment that Jesus seems to be talking about here. And I want to put this together in five different pieces quickly. And notice in this passage of Scripture, as you look at these verses, notice specific words. Jesus calls God my Father in verse 21. He is claiming in these verses to be equal with God. Secondly, Jesus speaks of that day in verse 22. and You can put quotes or underline it, that day. A specific day of judgment. It is a day of judgment when people will come before the throne 
And they will give answer for their lives. Number three, Jesus says people will be speaking to Him. He is claiming to be the judge who will hear evidence and who will see it. He is claiming this in verse 22. Number four, Jesus says that He will declare to them. He is claiming to speak as a judge in verse 23. He's using legal language here. To declare means to confess, to make a statement about something. Jesus saying, I am the one who will do that. I will pass judgment. And number five, putting these pieces together in these verses, Jesus says that He will declare to those who do not know Him, depart from Me. He is claiming to pass final judgment that will be final. There will be no appeal. There is no coming back from this. What does this mean? And why is Jesus saying this now? Jesus is saying that He is the Father's chosen instrument to bring those who belong to God into heaven and to send everyone else away. There are only two ways to live, dear people of God. Jesus here anticipates an actual day of judgment in the future. It is a definite event. Do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. There will be a day when we will all stand before Him. Jesus knows us entirely, on the inside and on the outside. He knows those who have saving faith and those who are just making false claims, who what Jesus spoke against were the hypocrites, those who were only play-acting before God. Jesus expects to sit on the seat of judgment and to pass judgment with final authority. He expects to do that. It is true. Jesus' words of judgment will be final. There will be no appeal and no other second chances. You won't get a do-over. Jesus says there's only two ways to live now. He's not just talking about what you will do in eternity. He's talking about how we live now. So this morning we looked at Jesus' warning. We looked at the coming judgment that Jesus expects. And lastly, I want to look at the revealing test. What is the revealing test that Jesus gives here? I want to give it to you under three headings. Number one, it is a full-throated confession of our sinfulness before God. Remember what we looked at back in December. As we were thinking about Jesus, the little baby coming into the world. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, it says that Joseph was told, And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus comes as a Savior for sinners. Not for good people. Not for people who work hard or know the best things about God or claim to know something about who Jesus is. He came to save sinners. A man or a woman must first say, I am a sinner. And sin is more than a mistake. It violates the law of God and offends Him. It's more than committing isolated misdeeds. To call oneself a sinner is to say, these misdeeds are typical of me. They are not aberrations. A sinner is unable to reform himself sufficiently to please God. Though he can clean up his act or she can stop bad habits or even pick up some good habits, a sinner cannot clean himself thoroughly enough to be presentable in God's sight. So the revealing test is, are you saying in your heart, have you said in your heart, I am a sinner in the sight of God? And as our catechism says, justly deserving His displeasure. And as our membership vows say, and without hope save in His sovereign mercy. The revealing test is full-throated confession of our sinfulness before God. But it is also repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Savior of sinners. Is this psalm true of you? Psalm chapter 40, verse 17. Is this your heart before the Lord as you think of God in heaven? But I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinks upon me. You are my help and my deliverer. What else do you lean on, dear Christian, but the Lord Jesus Christ? And I want to ask you and just be a little bit particular here about what faith is. In our shorter catechism, question number 86, it says, What is faith in Jesus Christ? And the answer says that faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace whereby we receive and rest upon Him alone for salvation as He is offered in the Gospel. I said that this test is repentance and faith. You say, well, what is repentance? Well, I'm glad you asked. It's question number 87 in the Shorter Catechism. It says, what is repentance unto life? 
The answer, it is a saving grace whereby a sinner, out of a true sense of sin and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ, does with grief and hatred of his sin turn from it unto God with full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. What it seems to be saying here is, and what Jesus is getting at here, is that to make a claim about believing in God, or to make a claim with your life and how you live, and hoping that all the good things that I do will outweigh all the bad things that I do, and one day God will let me into heaven, what Jesus is saying here is that's not enough. It's not enough to change a cold sinner's dead heart. You must have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent of your sins and say that everything that I would look to is not enough. It's, not, it's hollow. It's empty. I cannot get into heaven. What Jesus is saying that what matters is knowing Him and loving Him in obedience. So lastly, the revealing test is a lifestyle of love for Christ demonstrated in obedience to Christ. You claim to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you walking in His ways? 1 John chapter 2, verses 3-6 through 6. Now by this we know that we know Him, if we keep His commandments. He who says, I know Him, and does not keep His commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in Him. But whoever keeps His word, truly the love of God is perfected in Him. By this we know that we are in Him. He who says He abides in Him ought Himself also to walk just as He walked. And then in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8-10, through 10, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now you might say, well, it sounds like you're speaking out of both sides of your mouth. Because you just said good works aren't enough to get into heaven and having right theology about God is not enough to get into heaven. And now you're saying those who really do know Jesus do the good works. So which is it? Tell us the truth. The truth is, you will do the good works according to the Spirit of God as the Spirit of God is in you. If you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will walk in them. Not trusting in them, you're doing them because you have salvation, not hoping to earn it. We were created in Christ Jesus to walk in them in freedom, not to walk in them in bondage, hoping that the good things will outweigh the bad. This is the Gospel. And the last thing I want to say, lest any of you who have a tender, humble heart before the Lord would say, well, I don't know if I'm saved. Jesus didn't say these things so that we would be discouraged or wonder, am I really saved or not for those who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is saying these things. He says, I will say it to those people, to those who claim to know Christ but don't walk with Him at all and know it in their hearts that they have no interest in Jesus. That's who He's speaking to. For those of you who do have a tender conscience and a heart toward God and have confessed your, your sins to Him and repented and have turned from yourself and looked to Him to walk in the newness of obedience according to His Spirit, then be encouraged, dear believer. But if you know that you are living the life of a facade, then this warning is for you. And today is the day of salvation where you should call upon the name of the Lord in faith and repentance and not walk out those doors thinking that you'll have another chance. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the word that you give us and that you so clearly and tenderly explain it to us that we would be able to understand it. And we thank You that You put Your Spirit in us that we would walk in truth and know it. Lord, I pray that You would convict our hearts in any way that we might be depending on our own laurels to be in Your presence. That we would have faith and hope in the Lord Jesus Christ alone as He has offered to us in the Gospel. And Lord, I pray that if we see in our lives ways in which we are not obeying, that we would seek Your grace to be able to confess that to You and to begin to walk in newness of life in Your presence. And Lord, I pray all of these things, asking in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together and continue to worship singing hymn number 675, Only Trust Him.
be seated as we take an offering to the glory of God. dedicate this offering to you. We give of our tithes and our offerings that we would say to our own hearts that we are dedicated to you as your people and that we are committed to walking in your ways. And Lord, I pray that you would help us in our own financial need that we would see you providing as we are obedient to you. And Lord, I pray that you would use our tithes and our offerings for the furthering of the gospel that you would use it to spread the the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ and His salvation of sinners in our county and throughout the world. And Lord, we thank You and look to the day when You will call us home. We ask all of this in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. of our Lord. Now may the Lord who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and rich in steadfast love and mercy, keep you from despair in all of your troubles and keep you from idolatry in all of your joys. Amen. Amen. 